Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile's Sound Notes. I have a new guest today. Mary Kaufman's here. Mary, thank you for taking time out of your day. Thrilled to be here, Dave. So Mary joined Leading Agile a couple months ago, and yeah. um, we're going to talk about growth mindsets and specifically about one portion of that. But before we do that, Mary, would you mind explaining to the folks who you are and what you do at Leading Agile and what your background is? Because you've got a really interesting background. Sure, Dave. Hello, everybody. Great to be here, Dave. Such a pleasure to join you. My name is Mary Kaufman. I am the principal architect for learning with Leading Agile. I, my background, I grew up on a farm, but I was a farmer who became a software tech geek. I spent time 30 years ago in the software field, went into telecom for 10 years, manufacturing for 10 years, did lots of large-scale uh, IT types of things, lots of business transformation, ended up becoming a professor and spent time helping build a very creative master's program that integrated an MBA and an MIS into one degree. Through that journey, joined a software firm as the chief learning officer to help them take their learning to a whole new level. And through that process, helped a lot of different companies through agile transformations, did executive level coaching, problem solving, learning solutions. And that company was sold to a very large consulting practice. And after that process, I decided to go on a different path. And here I am at Leading Agile. All right. Well, we're glad you're here. And you bring a lot of really cool stuff to the table too, when it comes to all this. I know that you've helped us up our game and training quite a bit. Um, and I think part of that is a great connector to the idea of the growth mindset. So that's something at, at Leading Agile that we talk about all the time. And I think specifically for the work that Mary does and the work that I do, that growth mindset is really, really important. So we're going to focus on growth mindset from the perspective of a lot of it's going to be education focused, but, but the idea of helping people kind of raise their skill levels and get better at stuff. Um, if you're not familiar with it, like how would you describe what a growth mindset is, Mary? So to me, a growth mindset just means through my effort, I can change myself. Okay. So when I first learned about growth mindset or first heard about it, I felt I had like a different perception of it. And I thought as somebody who often comes across as being pessimistically minded, I kind of expect the worst because I'm a project manager, um, that that I think that I took that to mean I wasn't open to the possibility of things succeeding. And I took that to mean that I didn't have a growth mindset, but that's not what this is about. No, it's, you know, you can be very much a realist and or pessimist, whatever you want to say, Dave, and any of you out there, you know, the point of this is that you're willing to roll up your sleeves and, and try and even speak the truth. So in effect, there are lots of people who might call themselves pessimists who very much fall into the category of the growth mindset because they're willing to speak up. They're willing to do the hard work and, and bring their full self to the table. Okay. And so I'm going to try to contrast that with fixed mindset, which I would describe as somebody who believes that things are static, that people don't change, that this is just the way things are. We're just going to have to roll with it. It's never going to be different. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, to me, that sounds like... <laughs> I shouldn't judge it, but it sounds really depressing to me to, to think of the world that way. It does. You know, when my growing up, I mentioned earlier, I grew up on a farm and my mom would always say to me, she called me Marianne, you know, Marianne, what's green grows and what's ripe rots. 
And that stuck with me forever. There's so much I can say to unpack that, but I want to grow. I want to be in that green field of believing new things can happen every day, no matter where you are in life, no matter what phase or stage you're in. All right, cool. Um, okay, so when we talk about a growth mindset, if you want to learn more about it, you can pick up the, the Carol Dweck book, Mindset. That's what most people start with. Um, and we're going to be referencing something specific in that book. I'm going to include a link to the graphic in the in the show notes. But there are... Um, different, I don't know what you would call them, I guess, stages or steps or levels that are drawn in this picture, um, talking about comparing a growth mindset against a fixed mindset. Yeah, Dave, uh, they're, they're like the tendencies. They're, they're okay. how, how does a growth mindset, a person with a growth mindset or a fixed mindset, what are their tendencies and how they focus on, uh, and, the, and the author really tailors it toward five key areas, and we're just going to focus on the first one. Yeah. And I'm looking at the graphic right now, and I, it made me realize that there are areas where I am very fixed mindset and areas where I'm not. And specifically with learning, I, you know, intelligence is static, is fixed. Intelligence can be developed as growth. I am of a very fixed mindset when it comes to languages. I am not good at learning languages, and I, can't, I feel like I can't do it, and that's not going to change. Mm. Um, and I think that's probably the thing that's preventing me yeah. From being able to change. So that's sort of the trick with the fixed mindset is it, it keeps you fixed. Well, exactly. And really, Dave, how motivated are you? It's interesting. I had a, a colleague years ago who, who kept saying, you know, he was bad at math. Mm -hmm. And I, I challenged him and I said, you know, if I were to rally a, a, a fund and, and say, we're going to do a GoFundMe and for you to learn, you know, X, Y, Z when it comes to math. If we pay you $500,000, you know, will you do it? He's like, well, heck yeah. And I said, okay, then you don't have a, you know, then you're not bad at math. You just, do you want to work hard to go do it? Right? <laughs> He's like, where's my $500,000? Exactly. I'm just saying <laughs> like, trick. to me, it's all about motivation and okay. that motivation drives you to belief. It depends on how bad you really want it. Okay. So Within these tendencies, the one we're going to focus on is about challenges and how people approach challenges. So fixed mindset people avoid challenges and um, growth mindset people embrace challenges. Yes. Yes. So you may not even know it. We, I'll use you in the pejorative, all yeah. of us together, we may not even really know what our tendencies are, but they do come out and become evident as we work with people. and. When you take an honest look at you or your team and you you reflect and say, we encountered this challenge or these challenges, what was our immediate reaction? You know, are we avoiding this challenge or are we looking at it from a lens that says, I'm going to learn and I'm going to be stronger or better. We're going to get farther along the path by embracing this challenge, you know, going through it, around it, over it, whatever it might be. And there's power in that. And so, first of all, being self-aware as an individual and as a team to say, you know, am I or are we embracing challenges through avoidance or, or I should say, or embracing them? Yeah. So I want to try to give an example of this at a, at a larger scale level, at a company level. Um, in classes, students ask questions and sometimes they ask questions that like just get instantly burned into my memory. And I was at this, teaching this one class, it was a private class. And 
um, one of the students was really frustrated and he raised his hand and I called him and he's like, listen, th this stuff doesn't work here. We've already failed at agile transformation five times. Mm -hmm. I don't know why we're here. And, and I, <laughs> I'm just looking at this guy. I'm like, dude, how can you, how can you say you've, it doesn't work? I mean, you've tried five different times. You've figured out five ways not to do it and they're still putting money and effort into it. You're still here in a class learning about it. That shows me the exact opposite of what you just said. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's easy to get caught in that trap. I mean, as long as you're willing to go back and learn and, and see if you can get better, yeah. you're going to be, you'll get better. Exactly. And it is really about motive. Like I said, motivation, and that really ties to the why, you know, why, why does it matter? Why put the effort in? Why challenge yourself to think differently and do something different? You know, it's that whole, you know, view, I guess it was Einstein, you know, continue doing the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. You've got to do something new or different to get a different outcome. And for me, it's about learning new ways to not just behave or try new things, but it starts with the way you think, the, yeah. the, you know, it's your thought process that opens you up to those new possibilities. Um, I'm going to share one hack for this before we go further with it. I wish I had learned much earlier in life than I did. And that is when I find things where I'm, I find my mindset to be somewhat limited, the challenge is how can I reframe this so that there's something, some place where I can be better at the other end of this? Like, how will I learn from it? We're going to talk a little bit about personal conflict. Yeah. But one of the things for me is when I get into those situations, um, specifically the one you're going to reference <laughs> in a little yeah. bit, you know, after the first couple of times of trying to not have the conversation, I realize, well, this thing is going to keep coming back to me. The universe yeah. is going to keep laying it at my feet until I figure it out. Mm -hmm. So why don't I just be awkward and weird and go through that, those stages and learn how to play this song? Because... I mean, any, anybody who, whether it's a sport or playing an instrument or anything you do, you suck in the beginning, but you come right. back to it over and over again because you believe that this effort will result in something positive. And I think it's easy to get, to get scared of that. Exactly. It is. You know, I've watched you in action, Dave, and, you know, I know how that I much suck at some things. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Thanks for putting those words into my mouth. <laughs> I know how passionate you are about you know, pouring the belief and the, and the power of what's possible with Agile and Scrum and, and the power of releasing teams to achieve their potential. I see it in the passion yeah. that you put into it. You're willing to have the hard conversations and go into the dialogue and be totally vulnerable. You know, I can only imagine that you had to acquire that. You probably just didn't wake up one day and just start behaving that way. Oh, I'm no. sure it was a process. You had to put yourself out there and, and deal with the consequences of that vulnerability and that authenticity and yeah. saw the value that came from it. That's what this is about. And, and I want to share one thing before we start digging into scenarios. If you're listening to this, one thing that's happened for me is Mary's right. I did not have that in any corner of my life. I found it in, in project management. I found something that I felt like I was good at that I could learn more about that translated into teaching and all the things that I've learned in the 20 years I've been teaching have, have helped me see that putting in this time and getting better at stuff actually does work. And I've been able to bring that into other areas of my life, like 
like playing music, which I've been doing since I was 14. Mm -hmm. I approach that now in a completely different way because I know that if I just keep coming back and keep trying and it's going to, it's going to pay off. And I didn't right. feel that way when I was younger. And, and, it, and it took courage and mm -hmm. risk-taking and willingness to be real with yourself and others Yeah, to, to make that happen. And letting and myself relate, be bad and clumsy. Exactly. And, and, you know, just a very brief aside in relation to what Dave is saying, if you all knew me in my life growing up, I was the last and the least <laughs> the lowest, the slowest. I mean, my learning capacity, it was horrible, but I had this belief inside me. There is more to me. My future is bigger. If I just work harder and I'm, you know, sleep less, pour my heart more into it, ask more questions, be more real, I can make something of my life. And, you know, I'm living proof that if you are willing to be courageous and vulnerable, like, like you have been as well, Dave, you can really do some incredible things to help make this world a better place. And that is truly my purpose. Yeah. And I think the only thing that's going to limit your abilities there is your belief that they can't change. Yeah. That's, that's what causes stuff to fail when you've decided it's going to fail. It does. Um, okay. So let's talk about the scenario or a scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got a pretty pretty common one, I think. Yeah. Everybody's a lot of people have been through this, but yeah. you want to set it up. Absolutely. So we're referring to this idea between the fixed and the growth mindset, and how these mindsets have a tendency to either avoid challenges or embrace them. And when you think about challenges in the team environment, when we focus on our work and truly driving value. It is hard, messy, difficult work. In that context, conflicts can occur. And specifically, you know, I spent a lot of years in the software development field, working, helping teams work together, you know, overcoming conflict, which are challenges on the team to actually get the work done. Like, I don't know about you, Dave, or any of you listeners, but for us, it was rarely technology that caused the challenge. It was generally people problems conflict, misunderstandings, you know, people didn't like each other. But one problem in particular that we would run into periodically that nobody wanted to deal with, nobody wanted to address because it was hard and nobody knew what to say, had to do with, now remember, this is when we're working in person. So you need to get your head clear around, you know, yeah. I know it's been a while since we've all been together in person, which <laughs> those days are coming back together again. And this problem's on its way back. <laughs> this problem is on its way back to reality. And it's this, it's body odor. And we had teams where people did not want to pair. When we do software development, people did not want to pair with somebody because they smelled bad. And I'm not saying just a little bit. I'm saying smell them across the room. And the problem is, how do you solve that conflict? Now, let's be clear. There are other problems that kind of relate to this, even if it isn't a sensory thing. But there are behaviors and mannerisms that happen on the team. Maybe, you know, somebody who's just dominating, somebody who you know, is just abrasive, doesn't want to listen, combative. There are, there are uh, non, I want to say nonverbal or behavioral mannerisms that 
can almost become as deafening and difficult to deal with as body odor. So this example we're giving can apply to anything, but let's face it. It's really hard to talk to somebody about their body odor. Is it not? (laughs) I think it is. I think it's a very difficult, uncomfortable conversation to have. And I think it's uncomfortable for everybody. It's not just the person who's got to have it. I mean, it's uncomfortable all around. Um, Yeah, but I found an answer, Dave. Okay. (laughs) I found a way. And interestingly enough, we had faced this so often in our prior, my prior work life that we did some research and um, our director of HR came across the source. And and I'll tell all of you, for the life of me, I cannot find the source or author of this, but she sent me an email and it was life-changing. And I, I spent time before this call today to try to find the source. I cannot. So if any of our listeners out there can find it, but let me just tell you what it is. The title of the email was how to have difficult conversations. And there are four steps to the process, but the setup or the words that you say as you sit down to have the hard conversation, for me, were the most powerful. And that's what I want to share with you today. Dave, did you want to say anything before I read this? Nope, go ahead. All right, so here's the setup. Imagine that you are sitting down, about to have a very hard conversation with someone in your life that you need to say something to, that you know they're probably A, going to be uncomfortable or not want to hear it. And I know you don't want to say it. So here it is. I'd like to talk to you about something that's affecting me, but I'm worried that in doing so, I'll communicate disrespect, judgment, or intolerance of you. That's not what I want or how I feel. I just want to find a solution that works for you and me. That's the setup. And that would be something that you would use, whether it was with a team I've had teams I've had to have conversations like that with, or a team member, or yeah. somebody in your own life outside of work. I mean, this is a, a setup or a framing that could be applied pretty much anywhere. That's right. That's exactly right. And so think about the power of those words. You know, as you hear them, for me, they're just very disarming. They're very honorable, and they're really bringing people together to have a conversation about something that you obviously know is going to be difficult. Yeah. So, so to kick it off, to prepare before you have the conversation, you need to be really clear. And the first step is be very clear about what you want. Think it through. Don't step into this until you know what you really want from this conversation. You know, is it something that you want to help them? Do you want to Um, get out of the situation. I mean, there's lots of different frames around this. In this particular email context, it was framing someone who had a roommate. They were living together, you know, young people living together, and it was this person's roommate. And they were trying to say, look, I can't really live with you anymore because you have body odor. (laughs) That was the situation. In this case, we use it in the work setting. So what do you want? Think about your options. Be very clear about what you want to get out of it. You want to honor the person you want to say. So in this case at work, look, be mindful that, you know, you've created a scenario where people don't want to work with you because you have body odor. You just have to be very upfront. What we're asking you to do is be aware of it. We're not sure, you know, because there are people who may have medical conditions and they're on medicines and things that can cause it. So figure out what's going on, and then encourage this person to be mindful and be aware and to ask for feedback 
and say, look, if you need you know, help figuring this out, we'll help you. But go about it in a way that's caring. Yeah, so that's the first step. This is a really tricky one, specifically because that may not be something that the person can change. So you have to be yeah. open to the possibility of this going, I mean, in a, in a dark, dark kind of way. Because the person might take it as, you know, might feel, be filled with shame. They might feel like you're criticizing them as a human. Yeah. And I think you have to be capable of sitting in that conversation and being with that person and working through it. Yeah. And saying you care. And in every case that we had to have these conversations, it worked. The person just realized, okay, I got to get out of bed in the morning a little earlier and take a shower before I come to work. I mean, truly it was just that simple. You know, there are people who are so bent on, I have to say, you know, they love their tech so much. They get lost in it. They work all night long Yeah, and come to work and just, you know, didn't really think showering was important for us. We just had to remind people, Hey, Take a shower, brush your teeth, use mouthwash, whatever. You're sitting near people who need to work with you and it's super distracting. And so I know this is a hard thing to even talk about, but how relevant? Because it doesn't have to be about this hard topic. It could be about behaviors or mannerisms or yeah. style. So it's very transferable experiences. I want to I want to share a story real quick about something that happened to me a couple of weeks ago. So um, there's a guy who's a, an agile coach that I'm friendly with. And we talk frequently. He's very, very smart. He's got a really incredible vocabulary. He's very, very knowledgeable. And he uses that information a lot in the conversations. And we got into you know, the topic of he had been given feedback at one point that this was kind of a, an issue. Like it would put people off sometimes. Mm. Um, and I've encountered a ton of people like that in my life. And I reached out to him and asked if we could have a follow-up conversation and I came into the conversation with the question of when I'm talking with people and that's their go-to for like self, self-soothing thing in a conversation, like I feel a little awkward, I'm going to let my brain, you know, kind of dance around for people, um, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. I asked, how could I put people at ease? That's how I started the conversation. And he was really super patient with me and we talked all about it. And by the end, I don't maybe this doesn't apply to the body odor thing, but by the end, what I realized was the issue wasn't, it's not necessarily about somebody else feeling like they need to use a lot of big words and refer to things mm-hmm. all the time. The issue was mine. So I think to me, like that's part of the growth mindset too. You have to be willing to accept that maybe whatever you show up and say the problem is, maybe that's not the problem. It's amazing that you just said that kind of blown away, Dave, how intuitive you are, because the second step in this process is to master your story. And the whole key to it is to go into this recognizing and realizing that you own your view of what you think the cause is, but it may be completely not the cause. So if you go into it, assuming positive intent and really having the right mindset around it, it, I, mean, I can't even believe you just use that as an example because it's exactly what this author was saying. And, and the author quotes a researcher named Rachel Hers, who created a body of work on the psychology of smell. And I'll just use this as an example. She did an experiment where subjects were asked to whiff an odor and to say whether it was pleasant or unpleasant and to rate it. If she told them it was Parmesan cheese, they would say that it was pleasant. If she told them it was vomit, they would say 
that it was unpleasant. Okay. And yeah, because you don't want to leave that and be like, oh, that's the vomit liker. Exactly. Here's the deal. <laughs> the funny thing is they all were smelling neither of those instances. They just had this odor they they put in front of them. So that they was pretexted just, them to tell them, make them think it was something. Them. Wow. Nice. And, and so, it, it, you know, to me, that's a great example. And again, it doesn't even have to relate to this particular sensory discussion that we're having. If you have a view of a person and maybe they're behaving a certain way or causing a certain problem, it's your viewpoint of it. Exactly what you just said, Dave. So the second point is master your story. Be clear about what you're telling yourself. Be open that there could be other causes and look for the root and help the person through it. Talk about the outcome. Hey, we're looking to create a highly performing team here. We have really important work to do. Your intelligence is needed. We, we love these aspects about you. We're just asking that we come together and find ways to work and make some adjustments so that we can all work really well together. For example, it's just a great, you know, positive intent viewpoint to have. Yeah. I think um, one thing about this that makes me a little nervous is when we say, when you say master your story is that I know a, I have known a lot of people who very much felt like they had mastered their story mm. and that they knew why everyone else was the problem and yeah. what everyone else needed to do. And I'm sure I've been that person a mm. hundred times as well. Um, I think the first part of it is also realizing there's a story that you're telling yourself and it's not what's actually happening. <laughs> you're right. You know, in, in, in the notes, you know, the author shares and says that, you know, you need to come to a place of curiosity and compassion yeah. where you can have an open conversation to get an outcome where everyone wins. And you're right. You've got to be self-aware, check yourself, be honest with yourself. You know, am I judging or am I truly looking for curiosity and collaboration? And so like to, to me, the thing where that goes back to the growth mindset is you have to believe not only in the possibility of things being different than they are today, mm -hmm. but also that what you think today could be wrong. <sighs> Absolutely. Really, it's almost like that second I, point. I might be able yeah. to learn French. Yeah, exactly. So I'm really glad you said that. Years ago, I took on this belief, a friend of mine, I'll shout out to her, Jill Campen. She's an amazing human leader, teacher, trainer. She's remarkable. She had gone to this seminar and we were kind of helping each other. We've been on the journey of life together. And she said to me um, something that she had done, and I took it as a charge of my own, never say anything out loud that you don't want to be true. And I mean, I took this to heart. Huh. And so I began living this vehemently. And she even said, it's funny. She joked with me that I lived it way more than she did because, you know, she was, she's amazing, but I really took this in ownership to this day. If I catch myself saying something and I know it's not the outcome I really want, I'll say it the right way. So I'll give you an example. My son, who's now a Marine, he's been gone for five years. He's, you know, done amazing things. Now, when he was in high school, his room was very messy. Like I remember thinking you're going to become a Marine. Oh my God, your room is about to look way different. And I would say things out loud, like oh, my son is such a slob. And I, when I got this new mantra, I said to myself, my son has the potential to be much more organized. Now I realize this is a silly nitpicky little thing, but let me tell you something. 
I can't believe to you this one. And there's tons of times I've used this story, mastering your story. I began it for myself. Things began to change for me fundamentally about what was possible for myself when I started rephrasing something in the outcome I was looking for, not in the negative, but in the positive. So in summary, only say out loud the things that you want to be true. You know, it's funny. I, I grew up in Philly and you said that and my brain translated it into my version of that would have been, you could suck less at this. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's growth right there. That's Philly. You know what? That growth. works, Dave. That works. <laughs> and there's a lot of people who are listening who are completely going to relate to that. Look, you know, my view of the world is way more, you know, shinier and rosier than yes, mine. <laughs> yes. People talk about that. I bring sunshine. I mean, you know, yes, I can't help it. It's just who I am, but, yeah. but it's true. And, and and so, so that, that's like the second point. I'm really glad you brought that example. The third key is around creating safety and clarifying your purpose. Okay. And okay. when you start the conversation by honoring both your need and the other person's need, which we talked about already, you realize that there's something where, you know, you're bringing people together to take it to the next level. There's safety here. We're looking for a purpose and an outcome in whatever it might be. I realize we're using this really hard one, yeah. but let's face it, talking about the really hard ones makes all the easier ones so much easier, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of it is just, I mean, even if it's not an interpersonal thing, just asking yourself, like, what if it could be different? You know, what if, what if it wasn't the way it is, then what it would be like? And I think that's just a door that a lot of people are afraid to crack open because like for I, what happens in my head is if I open the door to the possibility, then I open the door for hope. And if I open the door for hope, there's a chance somebody's going to slam it on my fingers. Yeah. So we get scared of, yeah. of that kind of stuff. And the easiest way to protect ourselves is to just say, that's not possible. That's right, Dave. You know, and, and, and really the last simple point, and we can talk about anything else you want to talk about, but the last <laughs> point here was your actions are yours. Yeah. The other person's feelings are theirs. Even when you do your best to approach this with curiosity and respect, there may be negative reactions. So let's be real. Let's talk about what happens if that person says, I don't have to listen to this, right? The answer can be very kind and just say, look, I am not trying to attack or insult you anything. We can talk about this later. I just want to work this out. I care about you. I care about the value you bring to the team. We want to solve this problem. In reality, the primary reason many of us stay in silence is that when we connect honestly, we're worried and we're misunderstanding are responsible for other people's emotions. We are responsible to care about how others feel but we're not responsible for how they feel. We have to care more about the outcome and the focus and care about the human and do our best to bring everyone along to solve the problem. All right. So what about when there's people that believe that they are clear? I kind of brought this up earlier, but they're really sure. And they're Mm going to tell you that they're there for you and they're there to work it out. And everything that comes out of their mouth is going to sound like a setup or an attack. Yeah, sure. Well, it's interesting because if you, you know, I don't know about you, but if I was going to have a hard conversation like this, this is a hard one. I would go and practice with a trusted source, somebody that knows maybe the situation, a safe person, I don't know, whoever it might be, maybe even someone not connected to it, but knows your heart. Yeah. And ask them for honest, hard feedback. Say, here's what I'm planning to do. Help me know how to handle this so that it's truly the most authentic real outcome. Here's the deal. 
We can't avoid these challenges. I'll say back to the growth mindset. In this case, conflict. If we do, we're only hurting everyone involved and the people that we're trying to deliver value to. So we, it's important that we try. So it's like that. If you first succeed, try and try again, talking to a third person and maybe even bringing a third person into the conversation, bringing somebody in who has more, who, who is a trusted source to that person. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And there's always someone who can be a middle ground that, that that person that can guide or who's trusted. That was me in my last job. I was brought into countless situations because I knew a lot of people in the company. They knew me. So I was brought into the third party to try to sort it out so that it wasn't this, you know, this person said, this person said back and forth. It was a, let's put this on the wall. What's real and get to the core of it. So you're right, Dave, you got to eat. If you really want a growth mindset, being open to that, you could be wrong. Right. And, and testing that reality. With what you just said, it's making me think also that let's say it's not an interpersonal thing because we've kind of gone pretty far down that path. But if it Mm -hmm. is something like our company can't transform, management won't change, they will never see this. I mean, you can see all the ways this stuff creeps into politics and stuff like that and religion all the time. Um, Maybe just having somebody that you trust, like if I could sit down with somebody and say, okay, I can't learn languages. I'm never going to be able to do that talk me down right? Um, and having somebody else who you can trust to reframe it or help guide you to a place where you might be able to see it. Cause really all it takes is just a different viewpoint. Exactly. Dave. And you know, my answer would be is you, you would say that to me, I would go find an example or 10 and put them in front of you of people who have said, I can't learn languages and then did. who are now fluent. And I'd, yeah. I'd show you an example where it really did happen tangibly and where you eyes would be opened and say, Holy crap, I can do this because if that person did it, I can do it. Or or maybe maybe where you get to with it is that is possible, but I choose not to spend my time and effort that way. I mean, there's lots of things yeah. we could all become great at, but kind of following Christopher Avery's lead, there's things that I choose to not pursue. And I own that. Exactly. And I'm not going to be great at that. And I'm okay with that. I've chosen something exactly. else. Exactly. You know, I think that's why, you know, growing up, we grew up with, with not a lot. We had belief and love and support from our parents, but financially not a lot. I learned a lot how to clean houses and do all kinds of things for myself. So my first houses I bought, I painted everything myself. You know, now I never look to paintbrush. I hire someone to do the thing they're good at. So I can focus on what I'm good at. Yeah. I don't want to, you see what I'm saying? And it's funny. And next week I'm having a bunch of painters come and paint some things in my house. So it's a great example. It's like, focus on what matters to you. It's yeah. okay. If you don't want to learn languages, don't learn them, but don't not do it. If you, because you think you can't. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, okay. I don't know. I feel like we've done a really good job with this. Is there anything we, we missed? You know, for me, it's just, the idea that we have a platform to inspire people to begin really thinking differently about what's possible. And remember, when you, if you're out there listening to this and you're, you're saying to yourself, you know, I am a growth mindset person. You know, I'm already doing these things. Look, there are people in your life who need this message, yeah. who need you to show them the way. If it's not you, believe me, you are a sphere of influence. You have a chance to speak life to 
anybody around you in your community and your family, wherever it might be, you know, people need more of this. Challenges abound. We have to continue getting good at pressing forward and embracing them because we're going to learn a ton and change the world along the way. So that, that'd be what I'd share, Dave. Yeah. Okay. And I think we're going to talk more about this stuff in upcoming podcasts, but finding little battles you can win, things like that, that's going to help propel you. The first thing is just opening the door to the possibility. So um, if you're interested in learning more about growth mindset, I would recommend Carol Dweck's book, which I will put a link to in the show notes. We're going to keep doing these. We've got a couple more levels or stages. I forget what Mary, what we would call them. Steps, yeah. whatever we're going to go through. There are tendencies. Tendencies, thank you. Groups. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, send me an email to mary.kaufman at leadingagile.com. And that's mary, M A R Y dot Kaufman, K A U F as in Frank, M A N N at leadingagile.com. And I will put a link to that in the show notes. Cool. Thanks, Mary. This was great. This was fun. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. All right. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. 